Happy weekend, Line Podcast listeners. It's Matt Gurney for Jen Gerson. Our podcast today is a bit disorganized, not because we were disorganized, but just because it was a weird week in the news. There wasn't really one big story, and there also really wasn't a narrative kind of through line through the stories. So we kind of do it rapid fire style. We kind of just bounce off some of the big stories this week that were catching our attention uh, Jen has family visiting from out of town, so we did have to pause uh, the podcast once or twice while she was getting them uh, situated and settled in, but uh, we've edited most of that out, and we hope you enjoy this, the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Well, with absolutely zero preparation or conversation beforehand, we've just decided to hit the record button and go for it. There is a lot to talk about this week. I don't know, though, if there is one story... That is the story of the week. Probably from a news perspective, the big one is the public service strike in, in Ottawa. Public service strike, I think, is probably the top, top story uh, from Canada from this week, um, simply because it eventually affects everybody and everything, um, and definitely starts to go to the thesis of, like, is this country working? Is this a functional country still? Um, but I just want to go through the headline, because you're right, it was no one big thing, but so many little things that I will lose track of them if I don't list them. The $13 billion subsidy to create electric batteries for VW. That's, I'm going to take uh, notes as you go. So, yeah, so yeah. that like that's just huge subsidy. Um, the Washington Post has this scoop where it came out um, uh, in private that Trudeau yeah. et al. were like, yeah, we're never going to meet our NATO defense spending. Uh, I did a blurb that I eventually got cut from my column on CBC um, where I kind of got annoyed by all the people saying, you know, be careful about evil opposition leaders who uh, run against the media based on oh, right, Pierre Polyev's yeah. kind of stupid and inflammatory claim that the CBC is propaganda. Yeah. The reason why that annoyed me, because I'm like, yes, that was a stupid and inflammatory tweet. But just so that we're clear, um, C-18, C-11, the Globe stories are, 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 the Globe story is false. The fact that, you know, the prime minister's chief of staff has made a goddamn Twitter career of shitting on the credibility of the media um oh and yeah oh yeah now we now we now have documentation that the current liberal government tried to have a story it disagreed with pulled via twitter so like i'm all for shitting on pierre for calling the cbc propaganda but let's just point out that it's not just the conservatives who are going after the going after the media here there's liberals are just doing it with a smile on their face um elon musk after spending all that time in, tr in trouble talking about government-funded media on twitter Elon Musk decides, and screw it, not worth the fight. We're just not going to label any media. And I just think this is a king troll move on his part. Um, you have the uh, ethics commissioner resigning because they were like related to the MP or something to that effect. And BuzzFeed collapsed. So, you know, it's been a good week. Great week. Awesome. Super cheerful. So I, I don't even know if there's a coherent order to do that in. Um let me just start with PSAC, Public Service Alliance Canada. So they're Let's on strike. There. Yeah. That started on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think they'd strike, and I didn't think it would go to Friday if they did. So I'm already doubly wrong. Uh, important, important to front load this with that. Here's the interesting thing about a federal strike. If the municipality you live in goes on strike, you notice that really quickly. If the province you live in goes on strike, you notice that pretty quickly. The feds go on strike. Most Canadians don't notice that right away. But what will happen in two or three weeks is that a lot of things will start failing. <laughs> like, yeah. right, like, I, I've made this point before. I rely on municipal services every day and provincial services almost every day. Federal services, I need a couple times a year. 
but you know, start I, thinking things like immigration backlog. Yeah. Um, passports if you're dealing again. With passports again. If you're dealing with the CRA and you need yeah. to get a question from the CRA. That's exactly. How does it. That, and how does that affect our, our, our tax filing situation? So like imports, export permits, banking stuff, uh, food and medical inspections, like th- like this stuff will start to get weird. And I find the politics of it really interesting because politics of them are great. Yeah. Politics of this are awesome. You know what? Look, I I think I have a reputation. I don't carry any water for the prime minister here, but purely in terms of the uh, situation he's in, I I don't feel I don't feel pity. Like that's the wrong word, but it's kind of one of those. Oh yeah, man, you're screwed. Oh yeah, there's no winning here. There's no yeah, winning. Either not if you're the liberals. Either, because bluntly, also, I think it's safe to say that this strike has little to no support among the public. That the public are. I mean, I don't know. I've I've heard some some um, PSAC uh, individuals do yeoman's work, try to explain their position on CBC and whatever. And they've been very long without a contract and like you can sympathize with them. And there's some been some, some individuals who've done very good PR work on this, but fundamentally your people, you have public sector workers who already have entitlements that are beyond what most private sector workers have claiming they want like a 22% increase to keep up with the, with inflation and they want to be able to work from home two days a week. I mean, the vast majority of public sector workers are like, right there, buddy. Like, fuck you. And I understand that the argument from the unions is always like, well, you guys shouldn't be so piddly. We're, we want those things for you too. And the answer from the p- private sector is like, okay, and what have you done for us to get us those things? Oh, nothing? You just want to eat off and sap off of our taxpayer dollars, make our actual paycheck in the long run smaller because guess who pays you Mm. and while we're at it we're not going to get any of these things we know that the public sector routinely has entitlements the private private sector doesn't so i just think the public support for this group is is relatively small i mean i don't know about you i mean maybe this is an operative situation but I, i i went past a picket line that was running along the cloud trail here and like there was not a honk not a single honk in support of these guys. Not I haven't one. seen I haven't seen a picket line. Um my my little uh I think I told you this before, ever since the pandemic began, even though I live in Toronto, like I live in a village inside Toronto, like I venture out to the grocery store and back. I haven't seen any. Um I have heard anecdotally though that they're small. The picket lines that are operating yeah, are huge. small. Yeah. Because they're, yeah. working, they're working from home. They're refusing to come. Anyway, um I don't I don't have strong feelings about the the, the issue here. Um Okay, I, I get it. Like their their pay parity has been eroded by inflation, as has yeah. everyone's. They welcome, want to get made welcome. whole. No kidding. Yeah. Get it? Um, it's just like Trudeau doesn't want to sign that big of a check. I, I mean, I, well, actually, let me put it this way: I don't think Trudeau would care, but I think he's being told by Freeland and others, you can't sign this big of a check because the because after the last three years that we've had, the, the, it's been very made very clear to us that we can't just like yeah roll more money into the economy without affecting inflation and risking a recession so i mean um I... yeah the ndp is going like um jagmeet singh is taking the rolex off while going up and down the picket line and they're not going to vote for black to work legislation and bluntly i don't think the conservatives will either because they are also trying to appear to the working class while at the same time have everything to gain by watching the liberals flail well yeah and for the liberals um the the usual natural ally in this one would be the conservatives I just don't know if Polyev and Trudeau like each other enough to actually do anything mm-hmm. collaboratively yeah, or cooperatively. So, yeah, so I we don't might know. be in the we might be in 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 the uh, 
and we might be in the tank for a really long and interesting strike. Other than taxes, anything you're counting on from the feds anytime soon? <laughs> well, I don't have to renew my passport until next year. There you go. Hey, what's I think it's a trick, Mommy. Yeah, Mommy's talking to Matt. Well, we've resumed after a quick parenting break. Um, to to the point we were just talking about there about the uh, the political dynamics of this, I think the conservative. I mean, the conservatives probably could be sold on a case for back to work legislation. They're going to have to basically do the calculus of who's hurting more at any given moment, like the broader public or their own electoral prospects. Um, but I, I would just say on top of all of that, that what you said, I think is bang on just the flailing. Like, Pierre I, I think, is in no hurry to bail out Justin. No. Trump. And I think you're right that they probably would hypothetically support a back to work legislation, but only after weeks and weeks and weeks of this. Yeah. Only after they had maximized the point at which the, the, the liberals look bad and the conservatives could then come in and be like, fine, we'll be the heroes. Yeah, no, I think that's probably about right. Or, I mean, you can't also rule out the possibility that they come to a deal and, and the liberals just cave. They just say, fine, here's 22%. The, the problem is that I do think that if they wind up to giving that kind of a raise, that kind of a wage inflation, wage inflation is really sticky and it tends to mm -hmm. contribute to inflation. So also... You know, if you buy into union, union positions on this, that um, uh, increases in their salaries tend to trickle down through the rest of the economy. Absolutely. Be That's new the 22, yeah, an, a 22% increase in wages is catastrophic for anybody trying to keep inflation in place. Like that is the worst case scenario. So yeah, it pumps money. Yeah, it pumps huge amounts of money into the economy and it only feeds the inflation beast. So it, it becomes a real macroeconomic issue, I imagine. Ah, uh, we should maybe get one of our nerds to write about that. But yeah. no, yeah, like I said, the politics of this is interesting. Uh, speaking of nerds, I don't know much about the VW, the Volkswagen subsidy. It's $13 billion. Just the, the, over a couple of years and just how like that is a, a really large amount of money. I don't be subsidizing. Think, I don't think it's a direct cash subsidy. I think it's tax uh, waiving or deferments or whatever. But I also think the way Canada's done it is basically to match the United States. Yeah, essentially. We're trying to match the United States on some of this stuff. I can kind of understand why, you know, we want to maintain a, a car manufacturing sector. This is the future. This is the money that was required. But I mean, just put that money in perspective. That's almost half of your defense spending in a year. You know what I mean? Like that's, and the, just so we're clear, there's no way that the, the actual government revenue we're going to get out of that would be commensurate with the amount of subsidy that we're putting in. So it's just, it's it's a really large subsidy, but for one company, what I mean, like I, that's the sort of amount of subsidy you'd expect a, a country the size of Canada to throw around on all clean energy kind of stuff. Like then, I don't know, I've got some questions. Um, I don't, I won't, you know what? I believe you have questions. I don't have the answers for it. I am ideologically skeptical of subsidies here, but I also wonder what happens and I, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of this not from an ideological perspective, but just from like a realism perspective. When the United States, the largest market in the world, when it decides it's going to throw just oodles of money, oodles of money. around what create, happens. Yeah, you, can, you create a competitive situation where other states like Canada have to also throw oodles of money around just to keep up. That that also is the problem. So, but I mean, this kind of goes to the other issue that we've talked about since COVID, and that is, you know, we've we've stripped cupboards in order to keep everybody fed. Fine, but now we don't have a lot of money for things like 
keeping up with the Joneses on car subsidies, not without making serious other sacrifices. So, I mean, that's also, I, I can kind of, going back to our first blurb, I can empathize with public sector workers who are like, well, you can afford to throw $13 billion at VW. But yeah, you can't but I can't get to, a contract. But but I can't get a contract or, or you know, I can't keep up with my increase in rent bills. Right? I mean, it's a fair point. This is not something we, we need to talk about at length today, but just uh, this morning when I get up as... I host a satellite radio show every morning. So the first thing I do, I mean, the first thing I do is I get the kids up, get them off to school. First thing I do for work is check for emails from my producer just to see what's changed since yesterday. What's he, what, what's, what is he working on? And then I do like a really quick news scan. I don't always read all the articles in depth, but I, I flag them. I look at the Toronto Star. I look at the National Post. I look at the Globe. I look at the CBC. And there was a Star article today, and I haven't read it in full yet, but I've read through it. Average rent for an apartment or a condo in Toronto is now surpassed three thousand dollars. So reasonable. And I remember, I don't think it was that long ago when I was reading an article about it surpassing two thousand dollars. So more people coming in every day. Canada has either hit forty million population or will in the coming weeks, yeah. based on just population projections. We're trying to get, we're, they're doing the only thing that we can, and that is trying to get as much immigrant, as many immigrants through the door as we possibly can before the gates come down, which we have to do. The problem is we don't have the infrastructure to cope with any of it. You had said in a column a couple of years ago that, uh, and something we've echoed since in dispatches, or, and, I, and I've taken up uh, your your turn of phrase, because I think you're right, that our, we're in, a, in an era of uh, crises compounding each other. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I think that's true. But I also think we're kind of in an era right now where the we're in a situation where the only way to fix one problem will directly exacerbate or cause another one. And yeah. like, the, yeah. the, there's nothing new about trade-offs or, or pros and cons. Like, this is cost-benefit ratios, all that stuff. I don't mean just that. That's part of the normal calculus of any decision. Every every dollar I put into this is not available here. Every hour of work I put on that, I can't do this other thing. It's it's worse than that. It is like housing right now is a problem and the only way we can fix it is to like just whoosh, go on a building boom. Yeah, we, we need to we need we, we need a 1945 workers. style. Right. So the only thing we can do yeah. Throw open the door and bring in as many immigrants as possible. Oops, that's making the housing problem worse. It's like we're it's we're in a cycle that I don't know how we're gonna break this. And I know that there are some ideas around there about doing like modularized apartment units or housing units. And that's what the British did after the Second World War. They, they had like very limited floor, uh, floor plans. Because for the British, they didn't just have to like keep up with the baby boom. Most British cities were destroyed. Yeah, like they were bombed cities. out. Yeah. So they had to they had to like build housing on mass. So they came up with like four or five floor plans and they mass built these things and they shipped them on site and they threw them up. There's no reason we can't do that in theory, except we don't want to be doing that kind of construction. We want to be doing high-rise construction because that's more environmentally and fiscally sustainable. So we're like one of the reasons I think sometimes we are have such um sclerosis setting in in all decision making. Is because there's no good option left. Also, you want to talk about well, 
also the downside of like hyper um, focusing on high rise construction also is that it limits family size, by the way, <laughs> long term. It depends on the size is, of the units, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you, all you can afford is a one or a two bedroom condo on a 37 yeah. story building, you might have one kid and raise one kid in that. You may even have two, but you're probably not having more than that. Yeah. You're, you, you are building smaller families into that conversation, which means your fertility rate decline only then accelerates. Yeah, no, I just think part of the bureaucratics uh, sclerosis we're seeing is the bureaucrats looking at all these options and going, oh, my God, they're all bad. Yeah, and then and there's and then, no political way. There's no political reward for picking the least bad option. No. Like no one campaigns on that. No. Like we did the least painful thing. No one will ever fix housing. Um, OK, so WAPO scoop on NATO spending. This is yeah. really your wheelhouse. Yeah, so it's part of the uh, the broader, um, we talked about this last week, uh, the Minecraft nerds. It's part of the broader release of um, sensitive U.S. military documents. Uh, allegedly, uh, and I'll, I'll stress that because he's, he's now been arrested, allegedly by this Minecraft misfit 21-year-old Air National Guardsman, uh, who apparently, through his work, had access to sensitive materials, and apparently did not intend to do like a big national security breach. Like he wanted to show some of his buddies some documents. Hey, look what I see at mm -hmm. work. And then someone in his group chat began posting them on the dark web. And then, yep. so once these documents were noticed, we found more of them because apparently they'd been bubbling up for months before anyone even noticed. Yep. The Washington Post has apparently obtained a document uh, that is an American summary of internal NATO discussions which include the Prime Minister of Canada saying we're never going to honor our, our um, commitments. We're, we're not going to spend the money that we have publicly said we will. So basically saying in private that what we've said in public is bullshit. And what I think is interesting about this, like my immediate takeaway was that, of course, that's what he's saying. Like, th like to me... I know it sounds like I may be being blasé about this, but this actually isn't blasé. This is more existential despair. We know that they say in private what they won't say in public. That's half the problem. Like, this is what I have told you about so many times before about our politics being just memefied. Like, there is what you say for the Instagram uh, interactions, and then there's what you actually say when you don't think anyone's looking. I don't think Justin Trudeau's stupid. I don't think his government's stupid. I, I think they've, I think they're overwhelmed and and burnt out and exhausted. But Overly I think centralized, but yeah, but but I mean, fundamentally, I think their assessment is accurate. There's no political will in this country to spend more money. Justin Trudeau could do it anyway because it's the right thing to do, but that's hard, and there's no reward for him there. So it wasn't like to, I think a lot of people thought the takeaway of, of the of this document, according to the Washington Post was that Canada won't meet its spending targets. I actually thought the real takeaway was why we won't, which is apparently Justin Trudeau told NATO, there's just no political reality in this country that would allow for that to happen here. The voters are to blame for everything. We're the problem here. I well, It's our fault. Here, here's one, th one thing that I, I noticed this, and I kind of made a quippy joke on, on Twitter that, of course, too many people took seriously because people get heavily invested in every single thing. I heavily emotionally invested in everything I say on Twitter, which is really always confuses me. But anyway, a couple of the Shamrocky security establishment 
people when this was flagged for them said, well, it's not just Canada. Like lots of countries don't make their 2% commitment. Like, you know, you can't kick them all out. At at, At this point, I pointed out that if you actually look at a graph, do you want to know the countries that are behind us on that 2% NATO equipment? I'm going to point it out here because it's really funny. Here, I'm going to pull up the it's graph. Be in bad. Front of me. This is going to be really depressing. Yeah. Okay. So below us, um, spending less money. Oh, sorry. That's the wrong, wrong graph. Spending less money within the NATO alliance um, as a percentage of GDP. So our, our, we spend something like 1.29% of our GDP. We're supposed to be spending two. Below us are Slovenia, mm-hmm. Belgium, mm-hmm. Spain, and Luxembourg. But we're not last. No, we're apparently fourth last. Yeah. Fourth last. Ahead of us, Czechia. Chechnya. Montenegro. Czechia, the new Czech Republic. Czech, Czechia. Yeah, there you go. Czechia. Montenegro. Turkey. Portugal. Denmark, Hungary, Germany, even Italy's way ahead of us, Bulgaria, Albania, Norway, North Macedonia, the Netherlands, Romania, Slovak Republic, France, Croatia, Latvia, Estonia, United Kingdom, Poland, Lithuania, United States, and actually Greece is spending a shit ton of money. Yeah, the well, the Greeks have like a non-functional economy, but they're terrified of Turkey, so they they right. always break the That's bank right. on the military. So, like some of these anomalies make a lot of sense. For example, Latvia and Estonia makes a lot of sense to me why their spend, military spending's gone up. Um, you, you know, so there's there's a lot of places on this list that make a lot of sense to me. But like, if you're sitting here going like, "Oh, Canada's fine because we're ahead of Slovenia." Belgium, Spain, and Luxembourg on this front? I I don't know, man. I don't know. Like the argument like the argument you could make that would make more sense would be that because Canada is one of the larger economies and unlike a lot of the European militaries, we have in theory what we call expeditionary force capability, which is to project uh, military units beyond our shores. We have to like we're like the Europeans at least on their periphery, they can put a bunch of guys in trucks and like drive them to where they need to go. We can't, we're always operating across oceans. So we need the ability to do that. So in theory, you could make the argument that Canada may not be spending as much on GDP, but we have the ability to pick up a a brigade's worth of guys or a squadron's worth of aircraft or a task force of ships and send them places. Whereas some of these other countries can't. The problem is we can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the problem. Like, so, it, like, look, if you're looking at like, okay, but, and then other people are responding, well, well, look, who, look at the top six funders of NATO. We're the sixth. And it's like, yeah, right behind Italy. We're doing good job. Well done. That's, that's, and then you start looking at other stuff and it's like, you know, you, you start looking at a lot of metrics. I think someone of my tweets was pointing out like the, the amount of money that we're spending on research and development, for example. And it's like, we're up there with Italy. Our economy is performing about where Italy's is. Italy's a shit show. Well, like the only reason why I think a lot of our economic metrics look stronger than they probably should is because again, population growth. Yeah, population growth is yeah, but population growth is fueling a lot of our metrics, and that's also fueling our housing, and it's 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 giving us a bit of a superficial bump. But if you look at all the systemic stuff, the research and development, the innovation, the capex, 
military procurement, uh, functionality of our whatever. Like if you look at these sorts of deeper systemic things, we are performing it, starting to slide into developing nation territory. Here. Well, this was my column, uh, my column before last, because I just published one today, um, mm. which pisses me off, uh, the, what I was writing about today. But anyway, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe I will, but I'll do it in a minute. The column before last was where I was was responding to Tony Keller in The Globe, who basically said, here's how Canada ranks internationally. That matters. It does. And I'm not saying otherwise. But what you also, as a Canadian, what you have to track is trend lines. Yeah. So don't just tell me where we rank in the in the G7 or in NATO or the OECD. Tell me what direction we're going in within that group. Yeah. And um, in some of the key metrics here, we're, we're going down. Yeah. And if I think to your point, a lot of people... So in some of my more recent adventures on Twitter, people have been saying that Canada is not broken because we have low unemployment rate. That's what a labor shortage does. Mm -hmm. Like that's what happens when demand is outstripping supply, it, particularly in certain areas. Yeah, Any moron can get a job because there's a labor shortage in, in parts of the country and certainly in certain sectors of it. And that's happening because the, the boomers are retiring and I suspect a bunch of young people are just leaving, uh, yeah. which is something I can't prove it yet, but I have a strong suspicion that people are either leaving, particularly Ontario. Like this might be my center of the universe showing a bit. I don't know if it's the same everywhere in the country, but I suspect we are looking at some kind of drain, not necessarily a brain drain. It could be a money drain. It could be um, a guy I spoke with recently. He's a, he's a building contractor. He called it a brawn drain. He goes, if you live in an area where what you're willing to pay a skilled laborer to build a house will not ever allow him to buy a house, he's not going to stay. He's going to take his incredibly portable skills and move someplace else mm -hmm. where his skills will actually provide a life. And uh, I, I just think on top of just some of the, a lot of the, the dysfunction we're seeing in, in other, in other areas now, uh, how many people have given up on ever coming to Canada in the first place because of the backlogs in immigration? Oh, yeah. I mean, and those We're very are very lucky, I think, that the U.S. has gone so batshit in recent yeah. years. Like, it's given us kind of a little bit of an artificial goosing. Um, yeah. Uh, so I do want to overtop that, but I mean, I do think it's an interesting side note here. It's like, yes, we're, we're not spending enough on military spending. And it's like, to me, this is part and parcel with we're not we're not spending enough on so many key metrics that... I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, just a second. So the next thing on my list was uh, your I said, I mentioned, repurpose. You pulled a blur. I about pulled your last a blur column. out of my last column. I don't know if you want me to get into that again, but basically, all of the politicians are bad for media and don't like media. And Pierre Polyev got a lot of shit today or shit this week for calling. The CBC propaganda and that's deserved but like let's not ignore that the actual federal government is enacting two highly damaging to media bills including c11 and c18 and uh this uh government does not exactly have a great track record and how it copes with media so that that probably i can just uh worry about the dispatch elon yep. meanwhile uh, as a follow-up to the column i wrote on on cbc after all of the uh thunder and lightning about the fact that uh, Elon had labeled a bunch of public media institutions with the label government funded. 
he seems to have stopped seems to have changed his mind now all those labels are gone yeah well because elon is the king troll of all the trolls and this is how he rolls yeah partially he look he's a troll for sure but i also think some of what we have to look into um at twitter is dysfunction it's Mm -hmm. it's it's erratic leadership that may be repurposed as trollery and and some is here Mm -hmm. and even even uh, even musk himself has said uh i'm gonna do a lot of really stupid things at twitter over the next little while and sometimes he does you know, so you and I lost our coveted blue checks this week because we were what was called legacy uh, blue check holders. And people have been saying to me, well, just pay the eight bucks, get your blue check back. It'll it'll help you share your work. It'll help, help boost the lion's um, uh, visibility. And I thought about it. And here's the thing. If I actually had faith in Twitter's viability and future as a news-friendly ecosystem, maybe $8 a month, for either the line or for us as individuals, maybe that would be a good business expense. I spend money um, to support business activities all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Access to photo libraries or news archives or subscriptions to news outlets, um, uh, transcription support, things like this. Like these are essential things that we do in our line of work. Adding Twitter for eight bucks a month would be a rounding error on some of what we spend, but I don't see any value in it right now. And I would say worse than that, what what Musk is doing, either in an attempt to troll or because he can't help himself, and I'm not sure which one it is, he is denying me, and I'm not speaking as a journalist now, I'm speaking as a business owner and operator, he's denying me certainty. Mm. Like, so you and I spend eight bucks a month to get the line of blue check, we each spend eight bucks a month to have our own blue checks, we expense it through the company, we could do all these things. 24 bucks a month will buy me what? And do I have any faith that it will still buy me that 30 days from now? The way he's been cycling through ideas does not read to me as trolling. Some of what he does is trolling, like the poop emoji autoresponder at the media inquiries. Or the doge thing, remember the the Twitter, like, yeah. That's trolling. But I think some of what else we're dealing with here is a high IQ, low EQ guy who got himself into a bad investment and trying to figure out what the fuck to do. I think that's about right. And, you know, I was thinking about, here I am going to totally talk about internal line business on the podcast. I was thinking about proposing to you uh, as part of our next, we, we, we do a weekly meeting where we just talk business. The next one I was thinking about proposing to you that we put more effort into Facebook but then I thought about C11 and C18, and Facebook's already talking about possibly withdrawing. We don't I have think, any certainty I think, there. No, either. and also I don't think we can we can rely on any social media platform at this point. So I, I mean, we've already obviously put our stock in in Substack, and so far they've been they've been good to us, and that's great. But like, if you think I'm not downloading our letter email list every week, yeah. I have no faith in any of these platforms and I certainly can't, can't rely on any of them to juice our growth. So it's, it's a real problem. This is all a reminder to the listeners and viewers that if you really, really like what the line does, please introduce us to five friends. Yes. Because that's probably the only way we're going to be able to grow right now. And something that like, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal. we, We actually are having a good few months, like growth, like business is good. But there has been a noticeable change in social media growth, which was and never for us the biggest, but it was. 
a couple of months ago, we started noticing that it seemed to us that Twitter was throttling our traffic. Yeah, like and I don't we started think, I didn't, noticing not us personally, but probably no, Substack. like all of Substack. And it wasn't just us who noticed this; other people flagged this for us as well. But the amount of traffic that was coming to us from, from Twitter noticeably changed over up a couple of yeah. months ago. And it was and, never a huge piece, but it got smaller. And it got smaller. And now our our actual views per piece um, per article are about the same always. And that never used to be the case. We used to have real fluctuation, mm -hmm. right? A really good piece would would have four or five times our typical piece. And we don't seem to get those anymore. A really good piece now is still getting about steady traffic. And our views do fine. We're, we're doing very well. But We've grown our viewership, but it's also become more stable. Yeah, yeah. It's we don't have the big like on this. Yeah. Yeah, we used to get like maybe one every week or two. That would be we're, like 500% like, like, over the basement. Exactly. It would be like, we used to have once a, about once a week, we'd have a piece go viral. Yep. And we don't get viral pieces anymore. And I, I think that's an algorithm thing. There's something, something changed in the algorithm. So. I've told you horror stories before, and I won't name names here, either personal or corporate, but like media companies building out entire staffs yeah. and huge budgets to learn algorithms and getting really good at it. And then these guys think they've conquered the world. And then the algorithm changes and the traffic tanks by 80%. Yeah. And, and if you're not yourself in a digital business, uh, anyone out there who is in business, but not necessarily in a digital business, or maybe you're not in business at all. One of the things I want you to understand is how fast it can happen. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're running a really successful restaurant and you've been running it for three years and then starting literally one day you lose 75% of your customers and they never come back and you never find out why that is what an algorithm change can do to a digital business. And we have not, thank God we were never dependent on Twitter. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, that was a non-zero source of growth for us and it's probably down by what? 80%. Yeah. About that. Yep. And it's um, speaking, okay. And speaking of the collapse of, digital businesses we have to talk about uh bye BuzzFeed. bye buzzfeed yeah you know what i another future new media shining star bites the dust and that like there's so there's so many mixed emotions i have with this because mainly i'm sad yeah i'm sad for the people involved i'm sad for what it tells us all about the state of the industry and all, and all that good stuff but the other thing is just you and I were working at dinosaur print publications 10 years ago ish when all of the, uh, the new, the newbies 10, 15 years ago when the newbies were starting up full of piss and vinegar, full of uh, confidence, more than a few sneers sent our way being young people who were doubling down on the old media ecosystem. Cause they were off to change the world at the new media ecosystem. Some of them are still there and they're shriveled husks of their former selves. And some of them are just gone. And it was amazing to me, like the North American newspaper industry had like a great 200 years. And then it kind of over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, even it's been dying. The new, the newbies digitally packed two centuries of growth and then 10 years of dying into about 10 years. Yeah. About that. I mean, my takeaway from all of this is that I don't, I still don't think obviously nobody has the magic bullet for the solution that's or for the model, the business model that is going to save journalism. And maybe there isn't one, but if there is some, some glimmer of spring in all of this, it's in organizations that have adopted the slow growth, don't scale approach. Like us. Um, yeah. 
slow growth, highly dependent on um, publisher or sorry, uh, reader subscriptions. So you know you're actually serving a specific audience. And I don't think any startup has figured out a way to scale, particularly in the Canadian market. But even in the American market, it's really hard to scale, to have a, a mainstream, everybody reads you kind of environment. And I think maybe the days of scale are gone. So you need to find a way of a business model that works with a relatively small audience. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's, I mean, that's what we're doing. Um, I'm going to miss the days of scale though. I mean, I've always said that probably, and I, I went all digital in my reading years ago. I canceled all my print subscriptions. I kept the subscriptions, but I got rid of the print product. I'm just, I'm mm -hmm. a digital reader only. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a more efficient data transfer medium than a newspaper. Mm. Uh, just the amount of data you'd pack into that, the ease of use. And uh, the, no, no digital product has equaled the simplicity and ease of a folded newspaper or tabloid, a broadsheet or, or a tabloid. And I, look, I can get nostalgic about this stuff. I can get uh, misty, but I'm not here. I'm just looking at this as a business perspective. You're right. The future is going to be a larger number of smaller, sustainable outlets. The problem is you and I may well have a very prosperous and successful future. Subscribe to the line today. But what we're not going to have is societal coherence. No, that's that's probably gone. But I think it already is gone. I was explaining recently to a, a buddy who asked me uh, what happened to the traditional media. And I thought I kind of had to start at zero explaining mm -hmm. it to him. But he actually came into it with some pretty good literacy. He's like, I know that your advertising got wiped out by digital competitors why was your advertising wiped out by digital competitors? And I said to him, all right, look, you and I are about the same age. We're both white guys. Uh, we're both relatively the same education, and we live within a few postal codes of each other. Same income level, thereabouts. According to a newspaper's demographics, you and I are identical. Same age-ish, same gender, same uh, race, same education, same income, same location. That is how specific they can get with their advertising. Facebook knows exactly how old I am, whether I'm married, do I have parents that are still alive, how old my kids are, how many I have, what their gender is, and what I looked for for them on their birthdays. It knows my hobbies, the songs I like, the the, the art I like, it knows the books I read, the TV I watch, the sports I like. I, I said to my buddy, I said to him, as far as a newspaper would be aware, or a radio station or a TV station, they couldn't look at our profiles and tell us apart. We'd be interchangeable. Facebook would have no problem telling us apart from each other because it knows 5,000 things about us, what we like, what we dislike, uh, our, our demographic details in a much more granular way. It knows stuff about us we wouldn't tell people. It knows our search history. It knows the the uh, the pictures we linger on or the ads we click on the stuff we blow right by it can target ads to us so effectively and it's pennies on the dollar mm -hmm. and that's actually the real benefit you can target much better for basically a fraction of the price you spend 500 bucks like a newspaper you'd spend thirty thousand bucks in the hopes of reaching 500 customers mm -hmm. facebook you spend 500 bucks and it gives you a thousand yep well, much more than that. It's exponential. The scale is exponentially greater. But anyway, we are now wildly off 
topic. Well, it's just yeah. BuzzFeed should have BuzzFeed should have been able to adapt. Like if there was going to be anyone who could make what they were trying to do work, it was them. And I, this is not a reflection on BuzzFeed. It's a reflection on what they were trying to do, not being sustainable or viable. Hmm. Okay, great. Thanks. Subscribe to the line today. The only um, thing I have left, ethics, ethics commissioner. commissioner. Do we even have the energy? Do we even have anything left in the I tank mean, for the ethics commissioner? No, because like, stop appointing close relatives of <laughs> sitting cabinet ministers. The country of almost Bam. 40 million people. Yeah, but like spend your networks. It's forty million people governed by three hundred. Yeah, and I don't mean yeah. parliamentarians. No, it's that like is, only about ten of them. No, are you're right. It's, we're forty million people governed by three hundred. That's exactly right. Of which two hundred, like, of which ten, maybe have seats in parliament. Yeah. Ah, uh, maybe twenty. Um. Yeah. Look. I've always been solutions oriented. I've told you that story before about like, I'm out shoveling the sidewalk in front of my house and my neighbors calling the city to come do it. And how that's just like two totally different worldviews of how things should work. Like I see a problem and I'm like, I should fix that. Someone else sees a problem and goes, someone should fix that. I see problems everywhere. I'm trying to avoid them because I don't, I just don't think they'll be fixed. So I'm trying to adapt my own life to either get around them or make myself invulnerable to them. This is what giving up feels like, I guess. It's probably, I think that's also age. You're old now. Um. Yeah, I mean, age to the extent that I don't, I don't have 100 years for this shit to work itself out. Like I've got, I'm 40, right? So I've got 20, 30 earning years left ahead of myself. When we're in a country where we fix problems on generational cycles, some of the stuff that's broken today will not likely be fixed until I'm retired. Yeah, that's true. If it's ever. Yeah, no, I mean, like the soonest we could hope to reasonably fix some of this stuff would be into my retirement. So am I going to sit around and wait for the problem to be fixed? Or am I going to try and fix it myself for myself? As much as you can. Anyway, um, I think that's pretty much all I got in the tank for the uh, dispatch. Do you want to quickly label out the blurbs and then or or delegate well, I'll the blurbs. do i'll do wap post nato spending okay um, what do I, we I can want do, me to do i'll do I've buzzfeed a... nato and um psac and then do you want to do vw vw elon and my elon blurb? and what the blurb my blurb yeah repurpose the, your blurb repurpose my blurb okay yeah and then uh, we'll get this out hopefully then, tomorrow yeah, but do we say anything about the ethics commissioner or do we just do that like a 10 I just I don't do a 10 word blurb stop hiring your family. Yeah, stop hiring your family. Great. Thank you. Subscribe to the line today. Awesome. Awesome. That was fun. I'm glad we did this. Good. All right. I'm going to uh stop recording or you're going to stop recording and we're going to say recording. goodbye to our beloved, beautiful, wonderful, magical readers. We are. Who subscribe to the line. And um, those who don't, we will love you if you do. We would love you more. We like you now, but we'll love you Thank if you, you subscribe. We'll you more. That's not a promise for OnlyFans. That's just, you know what I mean. No. No. Oh my God. <laughs> See, I, I, yeah, it clicked. You meant the website OnlyFans. Yeah, that's not like an OnlyFans. This is not. Yeah, no inappropriate we're not honest honest to god if the twitter algorithms get changed again we may have no choice um 
Okay, and it's cool. gonna be just so we're clear, it's gonna be you showing your feet, all right? Whatever. Just people will pay for it. I I got no pride. Uh <laughs> thanks everybody. Have a great weekend. All right, folks, that's it for me and for Jen. We hope you have a wonderful weekend and that you enjoyed the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast.